Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Today on the show, we're surprising each other with three separate topics with one big catch. I actually don't know my topic yet. I have prepared three separate topics for this episode, and I've put it out to a live vote for the live stream to pick which topic I will cover. So we'll find out live in the show. Uh, I don't really know yet. Then we'll round it out with some great boosts. We got some great support this week for Wes's birthday, some picks and more. So before we go any further, let's say good morning to our friends at Tailscale. Tailscale is a mesh VPN protected by WireGuard. We love it. It'll change your game. Create a flat mesh network in seconds. You got five machines. It'll take you like three minutes to get them all going. It's fantastic. Try it for free up to 20 devices at tailscale.com. And if you get a chance, tell me unplug program sent you so we can get a little credit in there. Tailscale.com. And let's say time appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello, Chris. Hello, 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 everybody there in the on-air room, and everybody up there in the uh, quiet listening. Happy room. Linux Sunday! Live streaming, lowest latency stream with Opus Audio. If you think about it, so we decided because we love doing this from time to time because it's just fun for us, just surprising each other with three wild and crazy topics and finding out uh, which each one of us has brought to the class today. And Brent is doing show and tell first. He just got done traveling. He's back home now and uh, I hope recovered or at least on the mend. Recovering. Let's just put it that way. I'm still figuring <laughs> out like, what did I used to do here? I don't remember. But because I've been gone for I, what's it been a month or something like that, I've been trying to get caught up with feedback. I kind of fell behind. And so if anyone, you know, didn't hear from me and they sent in feedback via our email, linuxunplugged.com slash contact. It's not you, it's me. That's why I haven't gotten back to you, so I apologize for that. But there's one in particular that I thought would be kind of a fun dive for us today. So I'm going to read you a note that Marco sent in. Dear Chris, Wes, and Brent, after years of using cloud services, such as OneDrive and Google Drive and Photos, I'm thinking of switching back to my previous way of doing things, hosting things locally at my house. The reasons being the increasing worries on data privacy. One of the things that really triggered me, like Chris, was the article in the Wall Street Journal about the guy losing his Google account because of lack of judgment at Google. The fact that other people can look at your files and photos feels awkward as well. Plus, Google handing all his data over to the police without being charged officially? I really don't want that to happen. However, and here comes my question... I worry about what happens within our family files, photos, and videos if something happens to me. You never know what may happen in life, such as a sudden medical incident or a car crash. Working in IT myself, it's relatively easy for me to install, configure, and maintain products like Docker, Nextcloud, Jellyfin, PhotoPrism, Home Assistant, things like that. But I know no one can maintain a local server like I do in my family. My wife, brother, friends, they are typical end users without any form of understanding of how this technology works. That means that if something would happen to me, the nicely configured home server will run until the first technical incident happens, such as a software hardware failure, some certificate expires perhaps, a, an update that causes some bug. My wife and kid would then be unable to see the files we cherish, the photos that we've collected and the videos and other functionalities such as home automation that would also eventually fail. 
cloud services don't typically have this problem, at least not on the same scale. As long as you pay the bill, they generally continue to work, not requiring any deep technical understanding. Do you guys think about these things? Is it a consideration when hosting things locally? And what could be mitigating actions I could take? Thank you from longtime listener Marco from the Netherlands. Marco's asking the real hard questions mm-hmm. there. And it's the bus factor, ultimately. And how much do you think about it when you're building your own digital systems? I do think maybe there's two subtly, I mean, they're, they're related for sure, but subtly different questions. There's sort of the ongoing services like the home automation. And then there's sort of like backups, history, documents. You know, they might not be able to access them, but do you have something in place so that those could be recovered and, say, migrated to a, a cloud service or whatever is available after you're gone? Yeah, I almost feel like that might be the better thing to focus on is making the data accessible through the backups because the systems themselves can be very complex. And maybe without you there to operate them, not really something the family member actually wants, right? If they have all these complexities to them. And so they might not actually want the thing you built, but they might want the results of that thing. Like for me, if I had to think about how to make every single thing I create and set up at home sustainable and accessible to my family after I die, I think I'd probably never start. I think I'd probably never want to start the project. It's just because that's a huge project in itself. (laughs) Yeah. That's a project for my project, Wes. (laughs) You don't even have time for the first order projects. But if you solve the problem at the backups, so the actual data, the underlying data, the, the notes, the recipes, the photos, the music, the eBooks, whatever it might be. I think probably the biggest problem is, you know, from the what it sounded like from the feedback, it's obviously privacy and security concerns. So you'd want those backups, I presume, to be encrypted. So that does add a layer of sort of like you can't just download some tar files out of, you know, a web interface somewhere. You got to go some steps. So probably maybe the meat of this is you need either some trusted people or maybe you could go the route of having, you know, writing up documentation, pushing whatever scripts or tools you need to somewhere that's hosted externally and have steps that you know, your loved ones could then pay some third party to be like, look, we need to help with this date. We just need someone who can, you know, has basic technology skills to be able to like run this, go get these files, run this tool and turn the data over. I think using free software is actually an important step here. It's essentially using something that's standards based, that's open, that other people could read, interpret and implement. That at least gives them an option, right? If it's something closed and proprietary, they might get support from that company for a few years. They might not. But if your data is stored in standard standardized formats, if the things you're using are open source applications and infrastructure, they might have to go above and beyond, but they would at least have a means to to bring in an expert. Like when I saw this email coming to the inbox, my thought was, if this happened to me, I'd, I, I would expect probably one of you guys would probably offer to Hadia to help her sort it out. And since all my systems are, you know, my servers at home are Nick's based and a lot of the passwords I use, you guys actually know them. So right. you guys would actually get pretty far. Um, I don't know if you'd be able to get to the backups, but you'd get, you could get to the running systems. And so it's there's also like maybe enabling your local network of friends or mm-hmm. something like that. For and you think, too, it can be tempting to think. I mean, you're right that the cloud services run as long as you pay them. But that's only true as far as like that product exists. Yeah. Or, and then, so that'll work for a while. But I'm if it just points to a larger problem, I guess, is what I'm saying, where like folks that aren't even a little bit sort of digitally enabled, it means even if you have cloud services that are meant to be user-friendly, when that old camera is no longer supported and you have to go figure out how to get a new one and add it in, there's still burdens that a lot of people just won't be able to do or when that service just stops operating, you have to find a replacement. Mm -hmm. This has gotten me thinking 
even more broadly about just like digital estate planning generally, because for mm. instance, like I've been thinking about, okay, well I use my password manager as like the source of truth of trying, you know, or source of access actually to get into a bunch of other things. And so I guess that's one thing that I should probably share with someone. I think I have, I kind of forget, <laughs> but um, there's like pro likely a, just a giant list of things that, you know, you should give access to, to your loved ones yeah. to enable even you to hire someone, to, you know, because if all your data is, I don't know, sitting on an encrypted file system or something, well, that's not going to be much help if you hire someone to get in there, right? And so have you guys thought about that? Like, there, I know some services, like the big guys, have some, like, different rule sets that they go by for doing these kind of handoffs. But when you're doing everything self-hosted or... You know, you've got 12 systems interacting, uh, even with just a home assistant thing. Um, have you thought about like all the other things that you should think about ahead of time? It's a tricky thing, you know, because you have a hard time keeping track of what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And so to look at it from a perspective of somebody who doesn't know. And I, the home assistant one does hit because that house that rv would be chaos without that home assistant system <laughs> it runs so much stuff now um and it really makes life livable in a small space that is poorly insulated um and so there's that awkward barrier too right? like once you switch those things and then i mean i've just noticed it with when you have guests or whatever right it's sort of like oh well there's a whole non-standard setup that you're gonna yeah. need to know to make this work and it wasn't necessarily set up to work in the old style very well i suspect that the current system would run until equipment fails, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, cause nothing, nothing auto updates everything. I manually update it auto downloads, but doesn't auto update. But right, right. yeah, that is a hard problem. I, I wonder if there isn't some wisdom that the audience out there could share with us on this, because you can, I think you could argue, well, if somebody knew Nix, they could recreate the infrastructure by looking at my Nix config, or if somebody had done it all with Ansible, you could look at the playbook and mm -hmm. kind of recreate. So there's some, but that doesn't make it accessible to your friends or your family that don't know those things. Um, and that gets trickier and trickier and it's only, only going to become a bigger problem. My kids and mostly me too, for the most part, I, I've only lived in a time with digital photos. Like yeah. film cameras were absolutely around. My school had a film development lab, but I don't have boxes of photos. No, I have a few photos, I guess. I scanned around, but... most of those and now they're lived in, now they're digital. <laughs> now, like, you know, my folks and the generations before them, they have, a lot of important memories on physical photos. Uh, but like me, my kids will never have that unless they print them out specifically, but they'll still, it'll start as a digital photo. And so for their entire life, they are collecting data that they haven't even thought about how they're going to keep around or if they want to keep it or if they're just going to trash it. Like there's, cause they're, they're kids. They take pictures of stupid things. This is like, we're so early in it, right? Like, I mean, presumably assuming our species survives and all like, We'll just need to keep figuring these things out. We're going to have more and more data to manage and we need, you know, it seems like we also need more easy ways, especially in the free software community to let these things happen. Like if you have like a private next cloud, if it's, if it is the same, you know, you do have that advantage. Like we'd be nice if there was like a trusted network of like free software sysadmins for hire who could do this sort of thing or just an easier sort of on-ramp to be like, oh, well, there's vendors that I can just be like, Here's, here's the dump of my system. Can you start running this for me? Yeah, how cool would it be if you could have a next of kin kind of password 
that you put that in and it gives you like a SQL dump or whatever is appropriate, mm. right? And you you don't you don't get administrative access, but you get the data, you get some of the structure, some kind of ripcord, like all right, yeah. Oh. And then it shuts down the production system, notifies the admin, hey, by the way, the ripcord's been pulled. Maybe they're not there to receive it, but if they are, you know, then mm-hmm. something's up. There's, maybe there's something to that. I, I, we haven't even started thinking about this. And then where I see people think about this the most proactively, you're not going to be surprised, is the Bitcoin community. Because, you know, one Bitcoin right now is worth like $30,000. And so people, when they have a number attached to it like that, they really start thinking about, well, how do I pass this on if something happens to me? Especially people that got in early that might have a million dollars in Bitcoin or whatever they might have. Something digital is suddenly very concrete. Yeah. Yeah. And I think pictures strike a similar note for me. You know, pictures of my kids are invaluable. Yeah. 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 I'd love to know. Let us just, Marco, thanks for getting us thinking all the way over there from the Netherlands. Yeah. I would be curious if uh, some listeners have gone through this kind of process, either, you know, with, with the big, the big account holders out there or some self-hosted stuff, you know, Um, if you have any insights, please share them. Uh, I think we want to dive a little deeper into this one. Let's uh, let's find out what uh, Mr. West Payne wants to talk about. I thought we could talk a little bit about Fleek, which is a new entry in the sort of manage all the programs you want in your dot file sort of, you know, how do you, how do you set up your user environment on a new system? Obviously, it's pretty annoying to set up a computer just right if you're particular, if you need a lot of tools. It's annoying having different setups from each place, like your work machine, your home machine, maybe you got an on-the-go laptop that's different than your desktop and oh, right, that one command just isn't here. That's definitely a thing. And it can be a pretty big time sink to like bother to get all of that stuff configured. Some folks use Nix and Home Manager for this, but like some things in the Nix ecosystem, it can be a little bit to go learn. If you just want to say like, hey, I want these packages installed and a few config- configurations applied, yeah. suddenly you're learning a whole new functional programming Nix, language. And then, and, and then Flakes and Home Manager <laughs> on top of that. Yeah, it's a lot. So this is sort of designed to be a little simpler, but give you some of that home manager functionality? Yes. Fleek is a user-friendly wrapper around Nix and Nix Home Manager, but the friendly Fleek command hides all the complexity from you. You can edit a 10-line YAML file, and Fleek harnesses the power of Nix behind the scenes. And it's cross-distro, right? It's cross-distro, yeah. You just kind of get it installed. Um, it Behind the scenes, it's made in Go, so there's just static binaries available. Um, you can also use the power of Nix to run Fleek without installing it if you want, although that's a little more awkward uh, if you're going to use the command line all the time. Hmm. So to okay. get started, it's it's pretty easy. What's nice about this is it's you know it's just your user config. So you, and and with Nix, you know you're not permanently installing anything. So um, low cost to get going, especially with Go. They've got binaries for all the usual systems on the GitHub releases. So just go give that a download. You will need Nix installed, right? This thing uses Nix behind the scenes. Nix, the package manager, which can be installed on just about any distro and Mac OS. Yes, yes. You don't have to be on Nix OS for this. Right. I just want to make it clear because it's confusing. There's Nix OS and then there's Nix, the package manager, which is cross distro. <laughs> and um, Fleek points to, and it's not, I wanted to give it a try. There's a there's a new Nix installer out there that maybe you haven't tried. Mm. Uh, Determinant Systems has a Nix installer of their own. That makes it pretty easy to get going. They auto-enable flakes for you, which is still like an experimental feature. Okay. Um, works well. I gave it a go this time. Super snappy and fast. Still just, a, you know, yeah. a, a curl away, if you will. Really? All right. And what distro did you try it on? I tried it on Fedora. Okay. All right. I got a sense that some of the people behind Fleek are Fedora users, too. When I went uh, trolling through their GitHub the first time Fleek came across the radar and um, I love this idea because it feels to me like it's a product built on top of Nix 
which feels ultimately like the direction this is going to go because Nix itself is a bit of a learning curve, but building user-friendly tooling on top of that that takes a, takes the power of Nix but makes it more like approachable, that seems obvious. I think you'll like this about the, uh, the determinant systems Nix installer. They kind of list some of the platforms they this support yeah and of course you know mac os and uh, on in the m1 that, that's on there never heard of it uh but so is the valve steam deck <laughs> so is wsl2 all right now you got so me. is stuff like podman containers so, so it really you so know this is, helps so, you get so, nix on systems okay. and you can have nix on a lot of systems so this this would get the nix package manager on my steam deck is what you're saying that sure seems like it oh, that's pretty cool nice work guys nice work um but yeah right as you kind of hit on fleek's designed for people who are not familiar with nix I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, it can be a little overwhelming, this like initial next learning curve, um, especially if you just want to get going. But Fleek is really easy. So I, I got it installed. Um, you just download the binary, you do a Fleek in it and kind of gets things bootstrapped for you. And then you have a YAML file you can, you can edit manually or uh, it's got an interactive command line. So let's say I wanted to use FFmpeg because I love FFmpeg. I got to have that around. Of course. You just do Fleek add FFmpeg. And then in the Nix style, it kind of goes out there. It searches to go make sure that that's a valid Nix package reference. It adds the package FFmpeg. It writes any configuration files that might be need to, need to get written. And then like Nix usually does, like it hasn't changed anything. To actually go make your changes, you're going to run Fleek apply. That kind of goes and overwrites and like, you know, builds the whole system, sets things up for you. And then it automatically adjusts things so that it's on your path. And after you've Fleek applied, you just run FFmpeg and you got FFmpeg now. Okay, that's slick. And the other thing it looks like that is appealing to me is it seems there's a bit of a community around sharing their fleeks, I guess, on GitHub. So you can go just like grab somebody else's fleek file and use that. Uh, so say you had a perfect FFmpeg set up for the hosts. So whatever distro they want to use, we don't care anymore. They just get their fleek on, get your file off of GitHub, pull it down, run it. And now they have like all of the binaries and all the files they need to participate in whatever show we're doing yeah exactly um yeah and there's like um you can just install any package basically in nix packages uh, and then they have some stuff where they've got sort of by default custom configurations that make it integrate nicely fleek also has like a bling setting which i think you would like chris <laughs> oh yeah um there's like a, you know it, it's pretty nice by Does default. it make my windows wobble <laughs> in the command line basically yeah like it installs a really nice rust based um you know like sort of terminal prompt line for you automatically it gives you a bunch of developer tools it gets you some of those fancy newer like command line replacements like exa instead of ls or all right, adds you got bat me. there yeah and it makes it all look installs good. vs code already yeah it's a nice little setup and you can just tweak it it's just one little thing in your yaml right you kind of adjust it it okay. also looks like it's got kind of handy support for taking it with you, right? Like if you get this going, you probably want to put it in Git. Uh, if you do, there's some helpers built right in, stuff like auto-pushing or auto-pulling the configs. Uh, it also looks like it kind of parameterizes by the host name uh, in the some of the configuration files it writes. So it, oh. it knows which system you're on and can kind of figure things out. Oh, that would be... so. That I haven't tried that part yet. That's but. what's been pushing me towards Home Manager on Nix and... I am a little so like that's almost one layer I don't down the rabbit hole I don't want to go because it it really feels like I am so committing to Nix forever at that point where everything I learned with Nix package manager would technically be applicable if I just moved over to Ubuntu and installed the Nix package manager and it sounds like Fleek is kind of continuing that trajectory where I could absolutely take advantage of it on Nix on a desktop but it would be portable and if it is aware of my different systems because 
I absolutely like, I have a system here that's very specific. I got I got a laptop that's very specific. I got a workstation that's really specific to jobs. Oh man, setup's easy too, right? So you basically you would go in, install Nix on the system, uh-huh. go grab Fleek, uh-huh. and then if you've already got like your repo pushed up and you're building out a new machine. You go fleek in it, and then you give it the path to the Git repo, which could be GitHub or GitLab or whatever. Or just a URL. Yeah, and then it'll go like pull it all down, get it all set up, apply it for you. And then, okay, so that's that's sort of like you want to go all in on fleek. You're going to use fleek to add things. You're going to use the YAML file. You can also just use fleek as a way to sort of bootstrap and build out a home manager configuration sure. for you. And then just use home manager. Yeah, and you can do that at any time. There's a fleek eject command, okay. which sort of sets a, sets a flag like, oh, you're doing it with home manager now, you don't use the fleek stuff, but it renders everything out, and then you've just kind of got like templated out sort of, you know, a starter kit for a home manager config that you know you like from the fleek world, mm. which also kind of made me a little more comfortable because home manager has been something I want to play with more, but mm-hmm. I'm in a similar boat where it's like, I'm still learning Nix here, I, like I haven't done mm-hmm. the whole migration. Mm-hmm. Fleek was easy. You know, you can turn it off if you don't if you don't want it, since it's just user stuff. And knowing that I can upgrade later when I want to go full home manager. Yeah, you could always bail out at any point and just go full home manager for any reason, too. That's great just from managing your system. But Fleek seems like it gets really useful if you've got multiple machines. Yeah, it does. It really does. Because, I mean, yeah, they've got that built-in Git support. Um, so you kind of just you push it there. You, you pull it around and you've got Fleek going. Now, I, I haven't... I only just started playing with this week. It just kind of popped up. It's like alpha status. Yeah. Don't go migrate your whole life to this thing. It's new, but it's look, that looks, your rundown of it makes me very, very positive. And I want to check it out. So if you also want to check it out, the URL is gitfleek, F-L-E-E-K dot dev. And we'll have a link in the show notes, of course. All right. Now I'm going to be getting my fleek on. I'm going to be uh, learning more YAML too, apparently. Goodness. Linode.com slash unplugged. Go there right now to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and it's a great way to support the show while you are checking out fast, reliable cloud hosting with the best support in the business. They got real humans all day, every day, 365, y'all. I mean, it's really nice when you get stuck. And, of course, the performance is remarkable, and the pricing, 30 to 50% cheaper than the hyperscalers out there that have really rigid platforms with rigid rules, rigid, rigid, rigid. And, you know, I think I glossed over the performance thing, but it's worth underscoring. We wouldn't be deploying everything we've built since we've gone independent if it didn't perform fantastic on Linode and run our primary website, our distribution, backend infrastructure, the show publishing process. It all goes through Linode and our community support infrastructure as well. They have 11 data centers online today with another dozen coming online this year. And across all of Linode's data centers, you can take advantage of great features like S3 compatible object storage, a cloud firewall that stops the traffic from getting to your rig, Kubernetes support across all of it, and more. In fact, uh, speaking of Kubernetes, you guys, if uh, you're still trying to wrap your noodle around containers and Kubernetes, and every time you get into it, it's just so laden with jargon, it just overwhelms you, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to an explanation of containers and Kubernetes for a non-technical person. Now, I don't know how much you can make that claim if you're interested in this. You must have some technical background. It's a nice, easy read. It's an ebook you can download from Linode. No sign up required, no email address required. You can just download the ebook. And it's from 451 Research. And they just give simple analogies to understand the role of containers and Kubernetes in cloud infrastructure. That could be really great for other members of your team or maybe friends that are trying to learn too. 
support the show by starting at linode.com slash unplugged. That gets you the $100. It's a way of supporting the show. And with that $100, you can really kick the tires. You can go build something. You can go learn something. You can try it for yourself while you're supporting the show and see why we love it so much and why so many in our community keep signing up for Linode. Try it out today and get that $100 at linode.com slash unplugged. That's linode.com slash unplugged. All right, so I'm going to spin the wheel and find out what my topic is. I have not looked at the results yet, so I'll be doing that shortly. But first, I want to remind everyone that we have a meetup at the end of April, Saturday, April 29th, and there is a perfect location, we think. The Boston Harbor, downtown Olympia, with covered outdoor area where we can be on the marina right there on the water, close to snacks, food, drink, and beautiful, beautiful scenery with great parking. And that'll be uh, Saturday, April 29th at 1 p.m., meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting for details about that. And I also want to put a shout out or call out or whatever you uh, solicit, um, ask for, uh, request. If you are in the San Salvador area or in El Salvador area and work with Linux or know a company that uses Linux, Please contact me, chris at jupiterbroadcasting.com or send a boost in. Those are probably your two best ways to get me directly. And or if you are in the area and would be interested in doing a meetup, should we do an El Salvador meetup? I'm going to be there in November, early November, first couple of weeks in November. And uh, I'm going to figure out if there is interest in doing a Jupiter Broadcasting meetup in San Salvador. So please let me know. Give us a signal somehow so we can decide. I want you to put the word out, too, because I'd also like to talk to Linux companies down there, figure out what the job scene is like and just figure out all that kind of stuff. And I'd love to land a few interviews with Linux companies and put them here in the pod. So let me know. And then last but not least, little PSA that I want to get out there is get your talks in. Get your talks in for Linux Fest Northwest. I, I don't, I'm getting low numbers. I don't like the numbers uh. I'm seeing. I, I'm saying it's like red alert. We need people to start submitting their talks. Now, you got a couple of weeks still. But here's what I want you to do is get your MVP talk in. It doesn't have to be the complete idea. You don't have to have it all finished. Get your proposal in. Because um, I want this conference to be just stacked with some of the best content in the world. I'd love to see people there that want to talk about Nix. Um, people that want to talk about Ansible. Other, other things going on in the world with Linux. People that make, you know, people that use daily, daily Linux and, you know, have tricks and tips to make that easier. Just anything out there that you have to offer, consider hosting a talk. It's pretty low key. You know, it's you show up in a room, they make it all ready, easy to go for you. It's it's not uh, it's no harder than just hey, you have to talk to a group of people, but they're a group of your peers. You know, when I was in Berlin, uh, I was told about a hack and tell that happens at Seabase, the the crazy underground uh, bunker thing, spaceship. Oh, I got it wrong. And I think that would be a great thing for something like Linux Fest Northwest, just like these quick five minute like lightning talks about something you built and you think is really cool that people might appreciate. So that might be an angle for for folks who are attending and maybe traveling from far. If you want to just add something to the content, that might be really great. I gosh darn tell you what, Brent, if we got enough JB crew members that submitted talks, which we should also do, we could maybe ask for like a JB room like we did a few years ago, a couple of years ago. And then we could we could leave room in there for audience lightning talks, and we'd have we'd have control of the schedule. So um, that's something to consider. We sh- but we also need to get our own talks submitted. 
I'm trying to think of what I should submit a talk on. Have I done one before? I can think of a few things. We'll have to we'll do some brainstorming. All right. All right. I will put a link to the uh, call for speakers in the in the show notes. You can also just go to Linux Fest Northwest website, but please do get it in there um, because we're looking at the early results and I'm thinking not so happy. A little concerned. So if you want to give a talk, it is a great venue with a great room because these are it's a college campus with a low key laid back uh, approach and a group of your peers that are just there to have a good time. And there's a lot of knowledge in our community to be shared. I think if we got just a small percentage of the brain trust in the JB community to do a talk at uh, Linux Fest, it'd be an incredible conference. All right, let's find out what I am talking about today. Never done a show like this before, so I'm not really sure where this is going to land. Um, wow, this is not what I expected. So we gave the audience three choices. Uh, we try throwing Nick's OS Unstable on my laptop live on the show and uh, upgrade to Plasma and see where that goes. Oh. Uh, I share the story of the scariest software update ever. And not my story, but a story of what has got to be one of the scariest, most anxious, oh, now I anxiety hear the inducing. Story. And uh, the, the winner by, uh, by a few votes, 40% of the votes, did not expect this. Um, learn just enough to know why Noster or Noster matters. Noster, no, sir. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, Noster, notes, and other things through relays. And I think a lot of people, when they think about this, they probably roll their eyes and they think it's a Twitter replacement. And that's kind of where, if you're like me and you have very little interest in more social media, you kind of just opt out. But um, that would be kind of like saying that uh, HTTP is is only for social media. I would think of Noster as a protocol to run decentralized web applications. Uh, it's a lightweight open protocol that, quote, has a chance to work, as per the project docs. Um, and it's uh, probably most famously immediately known for a Twitter replacement. That's what, it, that's what it kind of became known for immediately. And there's probably the most well-developed apps for Noster are like these Twitter clone replacements. There's also like some Telegram replacements and things like that, but I just wasn't super interested in any of that. But I got an insight recently, thanks to uh, the Bitcoin dad from the Bitcoin dad pod about where this is going. And then it finally clicked for me. And I realized this is one of those things that isn't going away. And I'll tell you why I think that is in just a moment. So uh, this isn't a crypto thing. There's no crypto currency, but it does use cryptographic signatures, kind of like PGP. Or SSH, probably more akin to thinking of it like SSH too, in a way, with with identities and whatnot. And then it uses relays. That's what the notes and other things through relays. Uh, the protocol specs are all defined by uh, Noster improvement proposals that become collected, and you can find them on their GitHub. The basics of the protocol is a WebSocket server that's called the Noster relay that handles and stores just simple data structures called an event, which I think are like basically blocks of JSON or something. I mean, it's really basic. Noster clients are apps that can talk to the relays and can subscribe to a set of events and have a subscription filter too. There's no signup or account creation for a client. Clients are identified with their public keys. So your identity is a public key. Every time a client connects to a relay, it submits a subscription filter and then the relay streams back the interested events to the client as they connect. And there's relays all over the place, some that are pay, some that are free. 
Some relays can cache client subscriptions, but they don't have to. And clients basically handle all of the intelligence client side. The relays, as the project puts it, are dumb as a rock. And all of the innovation happens client side. And what they really underscore is dumb server, smart client model. The simplicity of the protocol allows devs, they say, to quickly leverage the open standard and put all the complexity and implementation on the client side. And it does seem to be working because there are already hundreds of different applications that have been created using Noster. And the app experience is pretty much all defined by the client, which actually so far seems to be pretty impressive. It also means that essentially I can use one type of client. Wes and Brent could use their own different individual clients. And we're all sharing the same information because the protocol is open and the way to relate is all open. So the platform is decentralized at its core and the clients are compatible with each other via like a simple storage protocol for all of this. And where it all kind of, I think, as Grant likes to say, the rubber meets the road is when you start to think about the future use cases here. As a Twitter replacement, interesting ho-hum. But what about as a Silk Road replacement? This is going to happen. There are a couple of different proposals already out there and projects that have begun creating a completely decentralized, private, unstoppable marketplace that uses Lightning and Noster to basically build out a marketplace that has no centralized server, has no centralized authority, and seems basically about as unstoppable as BitTorrent and Bitcoin. It is uh, an interesting bringing together of the stack, bringing different open protocols together. And this is one of the many ways. Uh, Another way that I think is going to be really fascinating and is a lot more positive is the podcasting 2.0 community is looking at this type of stuff for ephemeral chat rooms. So imagine live chats powered by Noster, where when we do a live show, a chat room dynamically spins up that is for that episode. It exists during the episode. When we complete the episode, it's available as like a JSON file that could then be linked to or rendered or played back with in sequence to the podcast. It could be implemented in the podcast client on the mobile device. It could be implemented on the web. And you could also see these other kind of things where you just spin up an ephemeral chat and then associate it with something uh, where everybody uses their client of choice. It's a lot simpler than something like Matrix, a lot less heavier. Uh, another system could be for like backend communication between applications to do like a negotiation or something like that. But the one that really kind of made it click for me was the Silk Road replacement. Because that just seems like when you start thinking about decentralized payments, decentralized marketplaces, The first thing that's going to happen is services on the fringe that are excluded from society today Mm -hmm. will leverage anything that gives them an opportunity. So the first things that will start using Noster is going to be this kind of stuff that maybe you're not super comfortable with. I mean, some of these marketplaces will probably be completely innocent. Others are basically going to be a new Silk Road. And the technology will get used for good and bad. And I think it's going to paint this technology as probably a negative in the tech press for a while, while it has this beginning phase. Now, I think there's other positive things that we already see in stack exchange replacements, sub stack replacements, messaging platform replacements, and of course, social media platform replacements. I will put a link to an awesome Noster list, which is like one of of those classic (laughs) awesome lists. Guys, go through that thing. It'll blow your mind. Do you need to worry about it today? 
My assessment, no, not really, unless one of the applications you look on that list appeals to you. I think it's not really relevant in the Linux community. Are yet. you using it? No, no. Um, I will probably play with it more and come back with a report at some point if I deem it necessary. But at the most, for the most part, I think it is a technology that the Linux community shouldn't dismiss. We should prepare ourselves for the inevitable, this tech is bad because it's being used to circumvent authorities. And that FUD that always gets tossed around because it's a technology. It's not an intention. It's not an emotion. It's a technology. But I don't think we really need to distract ourselves with it at this moment. It's really in an early build phase. If you're a developer and you're kind of looking for the next cool new thing, definitely worth taking a look. If you enjoy new developing communities and technologies and like to be part of something as it's getting established, definitely worth a look. But you know, if you just want to sit back and wait for us to tell you when something interesting that's applicable to the everyday Linux user's life, I think it's still going to be some time. Jupiter Broadcasting Relay when? Yeah, maybe. I might actually set my own up. It does look, you know, I you know, I love that kind of stuff, but I just don't get the sense that there's a lot of relevance today if you're not like a heavy social media user or if you're not disenfranchised with some of the existing chat platforms um, or you, you know, if you're particularly interested in decentralized networking, then probably look into it. But that's my report, gentlemen. What do you think? Are, are you going to check it out after the show personally? Well, I was already somewhat interested. I like the sort of minimal relay, you know, specification, open standard. I don't know if I have anything to put in it yet or read from it, but uh, I'd like to understand it better at least. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Brent? What would it take for it to kind of tickle your, okay, this is worth my time to dig in? Well, I think that awesome list is where I'm going to start. Uh, I feel like sometimes when a new technology like this shows up, you you know, imagining what it can be used for is kind of the hardest part at this stage of its sort of evolution. But I, there's got to be some super useful stuff in there. So I think I'm just going to start there and cruise through. And I wonder if I can find something that I can convince you both to start huh. using with me. That would be a fun twist. And I'll, I'll note that some of the best information I got like really just like level-headed, removed, detached from the hype. Funny, I think that's even more ironic now that I say this. Came from the Rust community that's interested in Noster. Oh. Yeah, there's a building Rust community over there that's building a lot of the back-end tooling in Rust. Of course. And uh, they have a really good, I'll link to it in the show notes. If I think I can find it. They have a really good rundown on why, they, why that community thinks it's, it's, a, it's a sound technology. But it's, it's early days. It's going to be fascinating to watch. What I'm quite interested in is the the combination uh, is the comparison between IPFS and Noster. They seem like maybe they can solve some similar issues. So I'm going to really look forward to that in the next maybe. year. Maybe, so. yeah, maybe decentralized wanna, persistent storage on a decentralized messaging system. Does, maybe you want to use some IPFS links yeah. in your uh, huh. Noster notes. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. Head there right now to get started for free. Try it for yourself as an individual. It's also great for teams and enterprise users. Bitwarden, simply put, is the easiest way for yourself or a business or an open source team to share and sync sensitive data. And Bitwarden's vaults, they're end-to-end encrypted with zero-knowledge encryption. And of course, the thing that gives all of us a piece of some peace of mind, Bitwarden itself is open source. It's trusted by millions out there. It's one of the trusted apps in our local community. It's used by teams all over the world and organizations for secure password and data sharing. Sensitive things like passwords, of course, but maybe billing information, 
maybe a recovery phrase you need for certain apps, maybe two-factor codes. There's just all kinds of things that you need to store in a central repository, and you can build up a lot over time as well. And Bitwarden has a guide to create device-specific subsets of your credentials. How cool is this idea? So if you have like a personal device and a work device, you can create device-specific subsets of your credentials. I love this idea. And I was just browsing through the Bitwarden docs when I saw this and I thought, oh my gosh, this is perfect for what I've been experimenting with recently. Migrating to Bitwarden is so simple too. I I did it in about, I mean, under five minutes probably. It's just bitwarden.com slash migrate. And I think you'll wonder why you didn't do it sooner. Do us a favor though, by starting at bitwarden.com slash Linux. It's what Wes and I use to manage our passwords. It has so many nice features and they're always improving it as well. And of course, there's lots of eyes on that code, so it gives you some peace of mind. Go check it out today. Get the best password manager and secrets manager in the biz, and maybe recommend it to friends or family and help them improve their online hygiene as well. The journey starts for all of us at bitwarden.com slash Linux. Go try it out today. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. And now I think it's time for the boosts. Boostagram. We got some fantastic support. A lot of it for Wes's birthday. Thank you. Frozier comes in with 700,000 sats. What? And uh, he was boosting in from last, uh, from episode two weeks ago. From last episode, but two weeks ago. So not last episode. And uh, using Podverse says some insights into the introductory versus technical questions that have been floating around on the show. You guys have been the best resource so far in my funny in hindsight goal of becoming a Linux power user. I know what he means, right? Like you think, how hard could it be? Right. Uh, Continuing on from the start of a complete noob six years ago to now, you have walked the line perfectly. In the beginning, I would have browser open as I listened and I would frantically Google words like SSH, Bash and Genome and rsync, et cetera, et cetera, just to try to keep up. I was a puppy trying to run with the big dogs. Thank you for the education. That's great. Thank you for the value, Frozier. Um, so sweet. I think I know what he means because that's me like with a lot of like the financial podcasts and radio shows. I'm like, I have barely any idea what they're talking about, but I'm trying to keep up the best I can. Just like washes over you and, you know, you learn more, more and more of the words and then the sentences start to fill out and you get more context. Definitely. I feel like it's that with the car repair channels I watch too. I think I prefer to just go all in. And then sort of backwardsly figure out what I need to piece together to get to the objective I have. So I definitely jive with that. I did a search recently for fuel making happeners, but I couldn't really find any information on that. It's a weird, sometimes yeah, it's gotta so hook, niche. Yeah. You gotta be careful. Special lingos like Genome can throw you sideways. That's why, that's why we, we choose to be professionals and we respect the pronunciation. At deleted came in with 99,999 sats. That's a West birthday boost. What? I hoard that which your kind covet. Coming in from Fountains is, uh, was there something we're celebrating? I just can't remember. (sighs) Must not be that important. Just kidding. We love you, Wes. Don't believe all the mean things Chris says about you. Oh, I think you deleted. Oh, he's learned that by now. We love you too. Thank you, deleted. Yeah, Wes knows. You know, the Wes will just throw it right back. (laughs) Wes is a, he's a cool guy until, uh, until you start, uh, challenging him during linux action news prep then he'll he'll throw down <laughs> that's the only time though i really ever see west throw down it's during linux but you know it's gets you get a good result uh at when 1109 comes in with eighty four thousand 
and 81 sets. You guys, I love you. Using Fountain to boost it all in. Uh, I was talking to a coworker about all the AI stuff, you know, what it's doing, what it could do, mostly doom and gloom stuff. But he said, quote, what if instead of the scary stuff, AI brought about a kind of Star Trek utopia, allowing us to spend our time coming up with new things and pushing whatever we want or pursuing, I should say, whatever we want. Obviously, there are some practical hurdles that we would have to overcome, but who knows? Maybe it's AI that solves some of the biggest issues in society today. I'd love to hear what you guys think. I love that take. Before we uh, even turned all the lights on and started the stream up and anything, Brent and I were talking about how I've noticed the people with the most to lose are panicking the most Mm -hmm. about AI and the people with the least to lose are like, let's see what happens. This is going to be neat. There's something to the fact that AI could uh, challenge the establishment a little bit. Uh, not to frame it in this way, but if you think about it from somebody who is you know, what they call a capital allocator or a VC funder, they matter more when you need $400 million from them. They matter a little bit less when you just need $50 million. And if certain tooling, like some of these GPT toolings, can make your team a team of five people instead of a team of eight people, or a team of a dozen people, it's going to make those VCs and those capital allocators less important. It's going to mean smaller businesses can scale up and do things that larger businesses could only do before. And it's going to disrupt things a little bit. And whenever that happens, we start to get a little scared. And I tuned in CNBC the other day, and all of their guests were asked the question, What scares you about AI? What's keeping you up at night about AI? And that's where they're starting the conversation right now. So it's going to be a little bit. And I think there is probably some reason to be somewhat concerned. I don't mean to be Laze Flair or Blair or Laze Brent about it. But, uh, you know, my my outlook is, is let's bring the chaos, I guess. Well, it's like everything, right? I mean, it's, it's more technology. It does have a lot of transformational power. And we could use it to lift all of our selves up will we yes it's it's like sort of the theme with uh, noster it is a tool it is a technology it will be used for good things and bad things we'll inevitably hear about a somebody getting arrested that used one of these gpt tools to cause some create some sort of fraud right it's going to happen that'll be part of the process we go through doesn't mean we throw the tooling out in my opinion and uh i guess part of me figures kind of unironically how bad could it be if the robots took over? I mean, think about what a poor job we're doing. The meat bags of mostly water are just crap at leadership. Maybe the robots would do a better job. Dexbot comes in 69,420 sats. What you did there. <laughs> I hoard that which your kind covet. Boosting from the podcast index directly for last week's episode. Keep your darn secrets. Uh, Dexbot says, just listen to episode 503 and 504, and I have to say that I really love how y'all covered both the technical and human aspects of the NextCloud project. It's helped move NextCloud up in my home lab to-do list. Nice. I think, Dexbot, you'll feel like it was a good choice. I was hesitant, even though we've used it in production successfully for a while. I just didn't really want additional complexity at home. I didn't appreciate how much NextCloud can be used as a backend for a bunch of different apps that I now use, and now I have a common place for files, pictures, Uh, authentication it's just like an api platform that i can plug into apps that sort of brought everything together for me it does seem like it's especially useful i mean it's useful all the time but especially useful if you are just starting out because you don't you know you don't have this big pattern you're not already like 
doing all these different Docker Compose services or whatever, you can get by with a lot of things that started Nextcloud and then maybe you migrate to something more specialized when you get there. Or maybe they keep you. You never know. Exactly. Magnolia Mayhem comes in with 39,443 sats. It's a zip code boost. That's a cool zip code. 39443. Yeah, I'm a little jealous of having 443 in a zip code. That's awesome. Also, uh, to pad things out, I'm leaving some what three word locations. Oh, great. Where I have listened to JB shows in the past. I wish what three words was way more common. This is such a great way to divide the world up into a grid pattern that makes it so easy for like for meetups. We could just give out three words. Yeah. Boom. Here. Right there. Up to now, we've been failing, clearly. Listeners, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go Google what three words. There's like, I don't know if that's the open source version. There's also the open source version. God, that's cool. That must have taken forever to p- type out Mayhem. You crazy. So you got the, do you got the location over there, Wes? Did I stall long enough? Oh, yeah, I did. And then I, did I, t- oh, yeah, postal code near Tucker's Crossing, Mississippi. Tucker's Crossing, huh? That's nice. Makes me think of Star Trek. User 406-237-524458098 boosts in. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> with 40,960 sats. I'm putting my sats to correct your pronunciation. It's not chat GPT. It's chat Jippity. Thanks for all your great podcasts. <laughs> I've been listening since somewhere before episode 400. Did yeah, I get that right? Is this Jippity? Yeah, that tracks, right? Mm-hmm. That does track. And forty thousand sats is is that a, is that low? I, I, if does I, that buy us a jippity? I think it might. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, 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 wow! Uh, now, thanks, thanks for the sats, user. Dexbot came in again because Dexbot's a maniac with another huge boost: thirty-one thousand nine hundred nine sats. Not my current zip code, but it's nearby the same state. It's a zip code where I grew up. Pick this one special for the extra nines. All the, be- all the best wishes to Wes for his happy belated oh, birthday. Thank you, Dexbot. This appears to be Columbus, Georgia. Mm. I do want to get down to Georgia one day. Mm-hmm. If I could get my slides in on my RV, I could maybe make it to a few of these step places. Step one, then step two. I need, uh, I need an RV tech guy. Somebody in the Pacific Northwest that's an RV tech guy. My goodness, reach out to me. You're going to put your kids through college with me as your client. You know, Brent seems like he's got the makings of it. Honestly, if Brent was here or Jeff, if some, if I, you know, if I had some help up there, I probably would be trying to diagnose it myself. But at a certain point, I just throw my hands up. My kitchen slide broke again, listeners. It's horrible. It sounds like we have a project for the end of the month. Oh, yeah, I could wait. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, during the April meetup, I'll, we'll drive you up there and we'll hook our peepers on it. See if we can't engineer a solution. Gene Bean comes in, 30,180 sats, listening to uh, It's a Trap from Castomatic. They write, I think I've moved since sending what I believe was my first of the zip code boost. So maybe, maybe Gene Bean did kick it off. Here's another one uh, to agree that Brent's next cloud coverage has been awesome. Personally, I'm looking forward to getting a fresh instances hub for running soon and migrating my data from the snap version I'm using today. All right. So, uh, three, Three zero one eight zero West Payne. Do we have a location? Three zero one eight zero postal code in Georgia, near Villa. No, let's see, uh, Douglasville, near Douglasville. All right. Well, Georgia meetup needs to happen. Obviously, uh, seemingly, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Todd comes in with twenty thousand one hundred and forty-one sats. Sent it in a zip code boost. Well, thank you, Todd. Todd sent that from the podcast index, and uh, a little behind the scenes, listeners is Wes is creating a system that automatically grabs these boosts 
assigns an ID to each one of them and uh, puts them into the dock here for us. So this is a cool way to kind of over time begin to build a history of who's boosted in using our own infrastructure, which could be, well, that could be very fruitful one day. So do we have a location for Todd, Westpain? Luton County, Virginia. All right, Brent, write it down. Joe Hill comes in with 40,000 sats using the podcast index from episode 505. This is my favorite podcast of all time. Oh, geez. I've been listening to JB oh. since I think six months before they got acquired by Linux Academy. All right. So coming up almost on what? Four years, maybe three and a half, four years, five years. How long ago was 2018, guys? Years. <laughs> Definitely years. I care not to think about that. God, uh, many pounds ago and many years ago. I always listen to Linux Unplugged every week and will continue to listen for many years. I use Pocket Cast because it has all my history. If I could import that listening history, I would switch over to a 2.0 app right away. Joe Hill boosting in from zip 15613. Uh, somewhere near Orchard Hills, Pennsylvania. Oh, beautiful, I bet. Danny42 boosts in with a mega row of ducks, 22,222. Oh. This old duck still got it. There you go. You convinced me to switch to NixOS, and now I just wish I tried it before. I absolutely love it. That was my first reaction, too. It's like, ah, dang it. I waited way too long to try this out. Absolutely. Thank you for the uh, big boost there, guys. And um, we have a few more to wrap us up uh, that were under the baller amount, but we still absolutely appreciate. Yeah, one 5,000 sat boost from Paulo Pereira, uh, boosting in with the podcast index. Hello, long-time listener since Linux Action Show, about 2005 era. Can't really remember. Whoa. Ex-Patreon contributor and current party member. And first-time booster. Right on. I'm boosting from Lisbon, Portugal. Just listened a couple of days ago about SimpleX chat that you mentioned, and I'm really liking it. It'd be great to bring someone from the project to talk about it, and a plus one for more in-depth hands-on shows. As an example how to set up a simplex relay. You could do it while doing the show, explaining and sharing some steps, maybe even start something like a wiki or a general steps section on the website that would start in an episode but could be contributed to by the community throughout the show. Keep up the great work. 500 more, please. Well, thank you very much. I think we've experimented with some of that. I'm not opposed to it. We, it would definitely have to be a community initiative because when we ran it in the past, they generally would fall behind. And then you'd have this guy that was no longer really applicable and that became embarrassing for us. It was a thing. But um, Wes, you set up that uh, that Simplex chat uh, server, the backend server. Oh, yeah. What do you think? Is that uh, it's still running? Was that a difficult job? Was it just like a Docker compose and a couple of variables and you're good to go? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I wonder how we could do that. There might be a way where we could be a little more clear about how we stood it up in the show that would be useful, but not boring. That is definitely something I will start noodling around. I think that's worth considering more. Thank you for the suggestion. Snapdragon boosted in with 10,000 sats using Podverse. In Linux Unplugged 505, you mentioned giving Tuxedo OS a review. It would be great if you took it one step further and purchased a Tuxedo Infinity Book Pro 14 for the review. The Linux laptop market is so small getting to hear about the manufacturers other than System76 would be great content. Much love from Cincinnati. P.S. I'm typing this on a launch keyboard. <laughs> How does 99 watt hours sound to you, Chris? Oh, does it have 99 watt hours? That's what this graphic oh, seems to suggest. Yes, please. That has been a an issue of mine before. Um, 
you know, so I think the reason why you see more System76 reviews, Snapdragon is uh, System76, is more proactive with sending out review units. And they have people that are dedicated to doing that. I don't, I, I think, I think we've probably been offered a tuxedo review unit maybe once, maybe. It's been a really long time, though, if we have. And so the reason why that makes a difference is, well, I, uh, I'd have to be making a lot more money to buy every cool Linux laptop that comes out, because there's a, usually a few a year. And every now and then I do buy them. You know, I do. I bought my X1 Carbon and... uh Thunderbolt 4, yeah. it's got two oh. USB-A ports, full-size oh, SD card reader. Okay. What is it based on? What What is the, is it based on a... Uh, Magnesium chassis. Is it based on a Clevo? That I don't know. Because I think, I mean, that's probably similar to some of the other... Yeah, Max I think, 64 gigs of RAM. Yeah, looking at this, I think it's kind of similar to some of the other rigs that are out there, which is not bad. Not necessarily bad. Those They're getting to a good place. And everybody has to make their own choice. But for me, I, I... I I'm not even exaggerating. Brent and Wes can confirm. I have a literal stack of Clevo laptops in my living room here at the studio. Too many. There's probably at least eight in that stack of laptops. And all of them have died over the years for various small reasons that just sort of leave them inoperable. And um, I mean, I have ThinkPads and Dell XPSs from a decade ago that are still running. Everybody has a unique individual experience. That just has been my experience. And so if that is a Clevo machine, I would have to kind of think about it. It looks like a really great one, and they have really come up high in quality. So if I was going to spend my own money on it, they'd really, that's that's a hard call. It's a hard call. I imagine the same hard call a lot of you out there having. If only there was some sort of like review system, some sort of system. Hmm, How how would that work? I don't know. Lucas Burlingham boosts in with 9,999 sats. Happy birthday. Thanks again <laughs> for the wonderful content. Oh, thank you, Lucas. We did get a lot of really great support this week. And personally, it's been really, it's made me smile to see all the birthday boosts coming for Wes. You guys are the best. And, um, you know, there's, there's just something really nice about this model because we hear from you guys and it generates this conversation and this feedback and also forces us to follow up on topics that we completely lose thread about. It makes us reconsider things. It's more than just the value of the sats. It's, it's just been a really valuable conversation. Well, so. you know, especially this time because we pre-recorded early, and so it's been a bit. We've got a lot of boosts. It was just fun kind of peek, taking a little peek at the top of the mailbag to be like, oh, look at all these boosts. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it, it is. It's a, it's a, it, makes you, it makes you feel like people recognize the hard work. And you compound that with there are weeks in a small business that aren't great weeks. And so when you see the support coming in from the audience, regardless of what sponsors are saying or partners are saying, things like that, it's like the, the people that really matter supports there. That feels so good. Sam H. boosts in with 5,000 sats. I looked at LogSeek about a year ago when I was looking to switch from OneNote. I got a good impression and has some great features, but the lack of folders seemed like a problem for me. I'm currently using Obsidian plus Sync thing, and, well, still some OneNote, especially for work, but I like the idea of a folder of Markdown files that theoretically is independent of the app, whether that is Obsidian, Zettler, Markor, Nextcloud, etc. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's true. You definitely get the Markdown part with LogSeq, but it relies a lot more on the sort of, Quarries. you know, the, the black, the on the blocks and the graphs and the, yeah, the connectedness of the layer above than just the folder layout, which works for me, but... Yeah, it's not for everyone, that's for sure. I, you know, my my noodle just 
takes to the folder layout better. So that was definitely a thing that I was having a hard time with. Um, that's where Joplin does seem like a little more to my workflow is that I can, I can create a bunch of different structures. Like I have a folder for each car. I have a folder for the RV. I have a f- folder for the servers, you know, just sorts it a little bit easier for me to kind of find stuff. Maybe it's less, less noise to my, to my eyes when I'm trying to find information. Can you, Chris, can you give us like a little update? How's it going? It's been a few weeks since you talked about Joplin. You still uh, uh, actively using yeah, it. Yeah. I've been using Joplin combined with a VS code plugin and that has been really nice because Joplin's UI is just slow for me, but using it with VS code has been fantastic until this morning. Now my VS code plugin just quit connecting to my Joplin local instance and I don't know why. So I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I'll have a better take later, but I like that. Opie 1984 comes in with 5,999 sats using Fountain and just says, birthday booze. Oh, thanks, Opie. Uh, uh, Faraday Fedora also came in with 9,999 sats and said, happy birthday to Wes. Mm-hmm. He says, I hope the boss gives you the day off. He sure did. Yeah, we took something off. It was really nice. I worked on my broken RV. Uh, RGH comes in with 2,671 sats coming in from Fountain.fm, boosting my zip codes. AKA postcode where I live, 2671 West. Yeah, actually. Yes, uh, we should have. Although I, I'm, I'm it could be a postcode in New South Wales in Australia. Yeah. Let's see if that's right. I think it's, I think that's, I mean, when you start throwing, throwing around postcode, that's kind of how I know. That's how I know. They also said to keep up the great work. Oh, stop it. Uh, our dear A. Kenji over in the Matrix points out Joplin has a terminal user interface. Have you tried that, Chris? <laughs> no. Looks pretty neat, actually. All right, all right. All right. <laughs> they threw a screenshot in the chat, okay. and I'm I'm kind of impressed. Yeah, I bet the you. I bet the interface is faster. <laughs> actually, you know what? If you're just doing Markdown, anyways, why the crap not? That does look actually usable. This is the thing about Joplin. That's what I just love about <laughs> it. I keep finding this kind of stuff. It's so great. McLang boosted in seventeen thousand nine hundred and fifty-five sats. Ooh, thank you. Hello from the homeland of Linus himself. I've been a JB listener since the Lunduke times and have enjoyed every show and every second. This booth is both one quarter of my zip code and my first foray into the value for value land. Thank you to the whole JB crew and keep up the great work. Well, that is that's so that's their first boost. That is a very generous first boost. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And using the podcast index, I think this is a great way to get started. You don't have to switch podcast apps if you're not ready, and uh, you just get Albie and then go to the podcast index. Well done, McLang. Well done. Now, Wes, did you track down that uh, location there? It seems a little tricky in there. It's a little tricky. The boost is both one quarter of my zip code and my first foray into the V4B mm-hmm. land. Yeah, okay, well, let's take this. Yeah. Let's multiply it by four. Right. And then... You have the location. And while you do that, Brent, why don't you read the next one? Yeah, Magnolia Mayhem comes in, 3,999 sets. Happy birthday to Wes. Uh, this boost was composed in NeoVim over a three-hop SSH chain before copying to Albi because it's a birthday boost and those should be fun. <laughs> Magnolia, how did you know that's just what I wanted? <laughs> that's the perfect gift. The nerdiest boost you could think of. <laughs> and then update on McLang's location. It seems to be a postal code in Arkansas. Uh, Aileen? How do, you, how do you boys think you say that one? Aileen? Aileen? Uh, there's an A in there. Yeah. But I'm thinking you just drop the A altogether, okay. you know? Because 
You just throw letters in there. Lean for drop. short. Yeah, lean. Well, lean. I like but it. But there's there's an e on the end. Is it Alini? Some people. Oh, some people God. do that kind of thing. You'll have to let us know. There's only one way to find out. Only one way. We need a local expert. Samir boosts in with a row of ducks. I've been following you since the Lunduke days, mainly the Windows Action Show April Fool's episode. First time boosting or messaging, just want to wish you all a happy day off. Amazing. You long timers coming out of the wood. I know. It's it's something else. It's special. It is really, it is extra special. Um, And it's always enjoyable how people mark the eras of JB history. And uh, I think it's great. Lunduke obviously means you've been around for a while, you know? And uh, I love that. So thank you very much for coming. And and, and you know how many times they, people also say, I've never reached out before. I've never emailed. I've never Nothing. talked to you before. I'm but I've been boost. listening for a, over a decade. Yeah. That's me too. All the podcasts I listen to, I've never written in until Boost came along. And now I boost into the ones that support it regularly. But un- until then, my whole life, I've never written into a podcast. Isn't that funny? You know, that same thing happens at our meetups, like uh, Ben in Berlin, who I met, he's been listening like since the first show JB ever put out. And uh, he was like, this is the first time I ever, you know, reciprocate. Wow. (laughs) It was amazing. That could be you next listener. Hey, speaking of boosts, user 865 boosted in with 10,000 sats. Listener for a few years to several JB shows, first time booster, mostly because Overcast for iOS is so good. Mm, It is a good app. Thanks for the solid content from 87420, which is in San Juan County, New Mexico. Also thought there might be some interest in this little project I've tinkered on. And then we've got a link to NixOS ButterFS Pi, a repo over on GitHub, and you'll find it in the show notes. Building a ButterFS root NixOS on a Raspberry Pi 3. That is interesting. To me, ButterFS and the Raspberry Pi are just two great things together. It's a great file system for that use case, especially if you can hang an SSD or two off of it. And then, well, and then check this out too, which kind of like fits awesome with the Pi. On a new tag in that repo, GitHub Actions builds and uploads an image to the releases on GitHub so that that can be downloaded and then flashed directly to the drive running the Pi. And then user 865 has been running this on a Pi 3 for a few months now with a scanner connected by USB that's syncing over sync thing. Works great. Wow. Wow. Love it. That's a great success story. Thank you for sending that in. And we'll put a link in the show notes. And we're going to round it out now. Thank you for the fantastic support. It's, it's a really wonderful thing to come back to. Marcel comes in with 2,099 sats from Fountain. It says, happy birthday to Wes. Follows up with another 1,706. For my notes, I use a mix of markdown files and the back of envelopes. And yes, it's a big mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I keep meaning to try something different. Maybe I'll try LogSeek. Hey, you should. Don't listen to the folder haters. Yeah, what do they know, right? And then uh, he he has a great question. He says, can we get some Lieutenant Commander data boost love? And he sends that in with 1705 sats. I am programmed in multiple techniques. You absolutely can. You absolutely can. PegDot came in a couple of times this week. 9,999 sats. Wishing a happy birthday to Wes. And saying, my big issue with notes is Google Keep. Despite regular searches, I've never found a decent replacement. I use it for quick notes to do's in my grocery shopping. I really am fond of their notes, checkbox list, reminders app, and the web app. Most replacements I found either don't have notifications or a web app. 
would be interested if the community knows of a good app for me. He followed up saying that he is trying out Obsidian, though, and so he's curious if that's been working for people. Keep is great. And the only way I have avoided uh, getting sucked into it is just by not letting myself use it for anything serious. Like, it may be a flight or something, but Mm -hmm. I just, I know I get sucked right into Google Keep. Yeah, I kind of try to keep the reminders and stuff separate. I've just been migrating my groceries and some of those other things into LogSeek just the past couple of weeks, which mm. has been going decently, actually. Mm. Okay. But that does not answer the case, right? Having a web app, maybe you're on a system that you don't control, you don't have a place to run an app, That that's a harder problem to solve. Yeah. Cos Peeland Busin with 3690 cents about the question to donating to an open source project. I was looking at Linux Server I.O., if I could send some sats through a QR code, I would have done that. If I'd seen splits, I would have left it. Too bad. Only old school payments are supported. I know how you feel, Klaus. I feel that way these days, too. And I think the Linux server IO guys should get on board because I have noticed the self-hosted community definitely likes the boost. And if you think about it, it makes sense. You can self-host your entire infrastructure for a financial tool. That's amazing. You can be your own bank. You can have multiple different projects. You can integrate it with different stuff. Could have a Linux server I.O. custom lightning image ready to go, you know, host mm-hmm. your whole stack. I hope they wake up to it eventually. I think uh, once the uh, crap coins get done taking their beating from the regulators and the market and we get through macroeconomic conditions, people will start to figure it out. And I bet Linux server I.O. folks will be some of the first projects just because we have a lot of their users in the self-hosted community and the self-hosted community has really embraced it. Gene Bean boosts in with 6,666 sets across a series of boosts. Coming in hot with the boost. <laughs> Wondering, how have you replaced Apple Music? Yeah, so, um, not great, really. I, um, I, so what I experimented with was creating a bunch of local playlists using Apple Music, and that kind of kept me using Apple Music. I am shocked, shocked, appalled at how bad the playlists are on Apple Music. There is not a single one of their curated playlists that I can just hit play on and enjoy. And they have thousands of them. They're constantly coming up with new ones. That's really disappointing. They, I mean, for me, they all suck. And it's in weird ways. It's like songs that don't go together, like, you know, oil and water, just like totally incompatible vibes. And they're putting them back to back. And you're like, what, what, what's happening here? So I, I really look forward to getting off of Apple Music. The problem is, is I just don't want to curate a collection of high-quality music. I want a collection of beautifully sourced FLAC files. I don't want to make the collection, and I don't want to store it. So I've just been using Apple Music because I got the gosh darn lossless. Right. And I put it locally on the gosh darn Pixel, and it just works. But now I'm listening to like the same 100 songs since I've switched to the Pixel, I'm not even kidding you. It's starting to drive me crazy. So Thankfully, audience, podcast. If, if uh, you're an Apple Music out there, share some playlists with Chris. He needs it. Yeah. Yeah. Help me out. Give me some ideas. Hey, I noticed a lot of you are using uh, Podverse Fountain as well. And I got to say, great choices. Podverse has some fantastic updates for Android users. Latest update has brought the crash rates down on Android significantly. Huge gains there. There's still some work around, I guess they're getting like an Android system non-responsive error for some devices, so they're still sorting some of that out. But another big win, the F-Droid build size has been reduced by 66% because they now have platform-specific builds for F-Droid, thanks to some help from the F-Droid team. And so I love on Graphene OS, I'm sorry, Giraffe OS, I gotta get that right. 
um, because you can have a completely free stack, load F-Droid on there, and Podverse is in there, the whole thing, 100% GPL, top to bottom. It's fantastic, right? And then Podverse has a membership plan where you can support the development if you like. It's one of the many new podcast apps. You can find them at podcastapps.com. Of course, if you want to keep your podcast app, just get Albi. Get Albi.com, then go over to the podcast index, find the Unplugged program on there, and you can boost right from their webpage, or you can boost from our web player on our website. Thank you, everybody, who did boost in. We had a lot of support this week. It was great to see for Wes's birthday, and just with the extra recording window we had, we appreciate you all. Now, Wes, you've got a pick that I think you've been using on the daily, likely in anger sometimes. Indeed. Did you need a new diff tool? You might need a new diff tool if it's written in Rust. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Third Rust mention in one episode. Okay. No, it's not really a new diff tool. It's not going to fully replace diff. It's diff-tastic, though. <laughs> That's the name of this handy dandy diff. It's a structural diff that understands syntax. So it's not for preparing patch files or sending patch files. It's for interfacing with humans. If you've got a big complicated diff, you've changed some code, you've just changed a file, you want to understand what those changes are without just being told, oh, that line has some characters that are different. Enter Diff-tastic. It supports a whole bunch of languages, including some obscure ones. So it probably supports the language you use every day. And it works pretty good on just markdown and plain text files too. Um, I was just using it the other day. I had... Uh, uh, chat Jippity clean up some text for me, you know, like kind of replace some special characters, uh, maybe swap some words here or there. And I wanted to compare that with a few other engines as well as just make sure that I had a handle on all the stuff it changed from the this, the text I gave it. And this thing would just, you know, it highlights it in, in red and green side by side on the terminal. Mm. It's a, it's just a much better diff. And for some kind of really nasty cases where Git just doesn't, like regular Git diff doesn't fully understand and kind of shows you a big old messy change that doesn't make it clear. Yeah. Divtastic does a better job. And there's some integrations with editors out there, plugins for stuff like VS Code and Emacs. Uh, there's also some settings in Git if you want to use it right on the command line. Or it's a Rust app, so there's just binary releases on the GitHub. You can download it. You don't have to. So it's really easy to try, like on a work machine. You just yeah. kind of download one little library, right. mark it executable, and uh, give it go. a shot. And of course, maybe you already said this, but it's packaged in Nix. Sure is. So up to date. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, there you go. That was fun, guys. I enjoyed your topics very much. Brent, I, I'm glad we got caught up on some feedback. We have some more that we'll be covering in the future. And Fleek definitely looks like something to be checking out. And my take on Noster is uh, don't dismiss it, but don't distract yourself with it just yet unless you want to build something. We'll have links to everything we talked about today at linuxunplugged.com slash 506. Also, I'd like to personally invite you to join us live. We do the show at noon Pacific. 3 p.m. Eastern over at Jupiter.tube. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. Indeed. Indeed. The show is archived over there. And of course, we put together a real nice package for our members. We create extra content for them as a thank you. We also have an ad-free version of the show if they like it lean, mean, and ready to go. The bootleg or the lean and mean. It's available for you as a core contributor or sign up as a party member at Jupiter.party. There's more news in the world of Linux and open source. Don't miss it at linuxactionnews.com. We're always just breaking down what you need to know for the week. Wes and I get in, get out, get you informed. linuxactionnews.com. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Unplugged Program. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday. Next Sunday.